right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it is the deep end, season two, episode two, and it is a beautiful day in New England. I hope you're outside at some point today because it is 80 degrees down here in the basement of Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. It is much colder, but it is nice to be with you. Everybody joining us live on Facebook or on YouTube. We are on YouTube and Facebook live, and you can comment below. Let us know where you're watching from, state, county, room in the house, wherever. We're glad that you're here. My name is Tim, host of The Deep End, and I'm joined in the studio today with or by Josh Pereira and Hello. Chris McEwen. Hello. Chris, Hello. back for season two. Yes. Come on. Well, it's great to be back in this new studio. We renewed your contract. Yeah, thank you very much. I did not get the pay raise I asked for. That. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fish bump that unto the Lord, my brother. <laughs> unto yes, the Lord. All t- <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys uh, doing well? Everything going good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, like you said, the weather's great. It's that uh, late, late summer coming back. Yeah. I think the hurricane in Florida, and our prayers are with our brothers and sisters in Florida, yeah. but is pushing that warm weather up. We'll take so, it. Yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, we don't get it much, but we will take it for now. But prayers for Florida, Panhandle, and those areas that might get hit hard by the storm. We don't want them to get hit hard. We pray God's grace and mercy and protection over them. <clears throat> uh, what do you think of the studio, Chris? You like? I think it's really, really sharp. It's nice. It's uh, professional looking. Very professional. Very professionally done. Yes. I didn't give credit to Nicole Hauer, who was on staff. And yeah, she, she did. did a lot I of saw her down here hours and hours on end. Sure. She did, yeah. Yeah, so last week she did. Uh, last week I gave credit to Michael, Josh, Berea, but then yeah, they're used to all the credits. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also joining us in the studio today, we have who do we have? Josh Pereira in the studio. Someone special today. Oh, we uh, have the very beautiful, the very amazing, the very talented Jeremy Clement. Jeremy. Jeremy Clement. Newly married. Guest newly director. Married. Newly married. Beautiful. He, he is a. He is beautiful. And you he, called him beautiful. He is a beautiful man. In a completely non-homosexual way. Absolutely. Inside and out. (laughs) (laughs) So, good to have you with us, Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy is, yes, he works for Fox News. Yes, I was going to say he works for a a syndicated company that we shouldn't say on the air. But yeah, he works for Fox News. (laughs) That's how how big the deep end is getting. We are poaching from Fox News. Of course, we're not paying (laughs) them anything, but... They are here with us today. Yeah. He is here with us today. No, I'm sorry, Jeremy. We'll, we'll give you uh, Chick-fil-A after this, yes. after this episode. All right. Welcome in, everybody, again. And uh, let's get to the news. The news, the news. We are going to do some segments every week, and we got three segments today. But we're going to talk about some news. Sometimes you need good news, right? Sometimes the world is just so full of bad news that we never think about, wow, there's actually some good people out there. Uh, men are under assault in this country, yeah. uh, just the male species. I think uh, it goes without saying with the whole Judge Kavanaugh hearings and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know where there's people going to argue about that. I'm not interested in arguing about that anymore. It's over. Let's move on. But there is something to be said for the fact that uh, I think it's uh, it's detrimental to uh, the human race when we take one gender and just kind of demonize them a little bit too far. Sure. But I got good news on the male front. Not all men are jerks and not all men are sexual abusers, predators, and rapists. Hmm. Turns out there's some good ones out there. Three, two, three of yeah. which are right here. Actually, wait, wait. Three, four, five, six. Six of us are right here in this room. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this is from Breakpoint.org. It's a Christian news site uh, by John Stone Street. He writes about this. One of this year's recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize is a guy named Dr. Dennis Mukwege. He's a surgeon from the Congo. Now, uh, Mukwege, to understand Mukwege's story, you need to know a little bit about the history of the Congo and Central Africa more generally. In 1996, the Rwandan genocide happened, right? Mm, Remember that? Yep. There was, a, there was a response to that from uh, the, the eastern part of the Congo, uh, from 
Rwanda, and they invaded the eastern part of the Congo in, in kind of retribution for that genocide. And well, it started off as retribution, but it turned into Africa's civil war or Africa's world war, if you will. Uh, nine countries, 25 militias fought for control or of all or part of the Congo and its uh, mineral riches. By 2008... An estimated 5.4 million people had died in Africa's World wow. War. And countless women had been sexually assaulted as a military tactic. Now, while control of the Cong- uh, Congolese government is no longer in doubt, an enduring legacy of the conflict in the region is the use of rape as a weapon of war. But what, central, what sets Central Africa apart is a guy by the name of Dr. Dennis McQuaggy. In 1999... Uh, there's a picture of him up there on the screen. In 1999, this French-trained surgeon opened the Panzai Hospital in the country's most war-torn region. And since its opening, the hospital has treated more than 85,000 patients with complex gynecological damage of trauma. An estimated 60% of injuries had been caused by sexual violence. McQuaggy, has been, who has been dubbed the man who mends women, is a ferocious critic of those who perpetrate sexual violence and the governments that stand idly by, as we all should be, by the way. Yeah. In September 2012, in a speech at the United Nations, he criticized the Congolese government and others for failing to stop what he called an unjust war that has used violence against women and rape as a strategy of war. Now, his words struck a nerve, but... They struck a nerve with his enemies. When he t- returned home, armed men, check this out, attacked his home, killing his bodyguard and taking his children hostage. He escaped and went into long exile but, and recovered from his injuries and then returned to the Congo two months later. Why does Mukegi run toward the danger when the sensible thing would be to run away from it? The answer, his Christian faith. His Christian faith. Uh, Mukwege is the son of a Pentecostal minister. Uh, and he was inspired to pursue medicine after watching his father pray for the sick, which mm. is cool. Because mm. we don't just pray for the sick, we also work f- for the healing of the sick, a proper Christian balance there. We don't just pray and say, okay, don't take medicine. We actually pray and say, take medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, son of a Pentecostal preacher, he gets his uh, medical degree because he's inspired by his father's prayer for the sick. Uh, as his advocacy shows, his mission goes beyond medical care. Speaking before the Lutheran World Federation, he said, it is up to us the heirs of Martin Luther, through God's word, to exercise all the macho demons possessing the world so that women who are victims of male barbarity can experience the reign of God in their lives. McQuaggy joins um, someone else, uh, who I will not even try to pronounce their name, as recent (laughs) African Christians who have been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts in restoring what human sin and evil have broken. Award or no award, this is, as McQuaggy puts it, the mission entrusted to us by Christ. Wow. We need some good news. Yeah. So give that man the Nobel Peace Prize. And, and they did. And they did. And I think that's just, that's, a, that's really cool, you know, to hear something like that. Uh, good, there is good news out there. There are people doing good in the name of Christ uh, all around the world. And so in a world, in a nation, and in a cultural conversation right now where it just seems like everything is bad, 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 bad. Some good news for you. I'm pretty excited about that. I hope you are too. There are healers out there <clears throat> healing in the name of Jesus. And so we celebrate that. Well, I've got a question for you guys. All right. Okay. Have you ever been judged? In general. Judged? <laughs> <Yeah>. Judged. <laughs> judged. Like, uh, there's yes. a long silence there. Yeah. Have you ever been put down by somebody simply because they needed to feel better about themselves? I think that's where all judging comes from. You mean other than you, Pastor Tim? Yeah, since yeah. we started working here. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Don't let the secrets out, guys. <laughs> Have you ever been put down by someone because they sure. just felt bad about themselves? I mean, it happens all the time, right? Of course. I mean, mainly in high school, I remember that's like locker room talk, right? Between guys. Just yeah. 
jabbing each other back and mm. forth, but I can remember a couple specific times in high school where somebody puffed themselves up, looked better, and by putting me. It or just seems else like down. it happens more and more, and it's like yeah. it's not going away. Yeah, you know, I think that's the part of the political divide in this country too is just an opportunity for it to demonize one other segment of society so that we feel like we're right, therefore we are good. Yeah, it's yeah. like that it's high school bullying just evolves into something more just goes with uh, us. matured. Yeah, I mean, graduates high school with us, goes to college with us, and now it's in the politics. <laughs> enters into the world of mm. pol- political discussion. Yeah, well, it it comes from the Garden of Eden. You know, the Garden of Eden is is a is a composite of the human condition as a result of sin. First, the Garden of Eden obviously is a composite of what God has come to do for humankind, <clears> which is to create a place of peace, harmony, and protection, so that He and they can dwell together in harmony and righteousness and peace. But then sin happens, and uh, Adam and Eve, they listen to the serpent, and they take the forbidden fruit. And um, right from that moment when God shows up, what do Adam and Eve get busy doing? They get busy blaming each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's actually kind of a funny moment, because you you can't read too far into the Bible before you start cracking up a little bit, because this is funny. It is kind of funny. God says, what did you do? And and Adam says, well, the woman, you know, the woman that you gave me over here, I mean, you know, you made her. I didn't think her up. That's your idea. (laughs) She told me to eat this, you know, fruit, this, and many of the Jewish uh, historians believe it was a pomegranate, Mm -hmm. not an apple. Okay. Really? Yeah, pomegranate. Uh, pomegranate is actually... Would you, would you bite into a pomegranate? I wouldn't. That's disgusting. But again, maybe that's why it was forbidden. There you go. They <laughs> 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 just bite into all these little... Don't eat that fruit. Crap, that's seeds, all those seeds, seeds they're going to be yeah. nasty. They're going to sour your stomach over there. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> so he says, oh, the woman you gave me. Then God turns to the woman, and what does she say? She doesn't take responsibility. She says, oh, the serpent. You know. And by the way, you made the serpent too, God. So it's like all this blame game going on right there from the Garden of Eden. And this is not new. Like our blame game society is not new. And so why am I bringing this up? Because it's two days after Columbus Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Columbus Day, the annual, the formally, formerly an annual tradition celebrating America's heritage and the brave explorers who came across the Atlantic to found a new world based primarily in Christian principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The Christ, Judeo-Christian ethic influenced the founding of America in amazing, profound ways. Well, that's what it used to be. That's what Columbus Day used to be. Let's celebrate who we are as Americans. So today, Columbus Day is now another political argument. I'm offended. It's Indigenous People's Day. Yes, exactly. Is it it Columbus Day or is it Indigenous People's Day? And and friends, that's what has me just a little bit, here's a new segment, a little bit politicked. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that graphic with my head exploding, but that's that's pretty cool. Yes. It works. (laughs) <laughs> all right, politics. Let's get into politics. Okay, history is under assault. And by the way, all these segments, they're going to point to where we're going in Revelation. Everything that we talk about hopefully will come full circle. So just bear with us if you're wondering where the Bible portion is today. It will come. But let's talk about this. Is it, is it Columbus Day or should it be changed to Indigenous People Day? I remember it was two years ago, my 12-year-old son, Connor, he comes home from school and without provocation, he says these words out of nowhere. He says, I don't think it should be called Columbus Day. I think it should be called Indigenous People's Day. He just made that up himself. Just right? came out of nowhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyway, I just like I hung my head and I began a conversation with both him and myself and then a personal search for truth. Like, well, what is the truth here? Because truth, as always, is under assault. Mm. Uh, no more has it, ever, has it been under assault than in the Internet age where 
any schmo can put up a news site where anybody can post an opinion to Facebook, where anybody can say, this is what is factual, historic reality, and there is no changing it. And, and he can block comments, and he can stop people from changing it by you know, correcting them. Mm-hmm. So we're living in a world where, where, where history is coming into like this redefinition, reinterpretation stage. And so boards of education around the country, and you need to be aware of this, parents, boards of education around the country are very busy rewriting and reinterpreting, and reinterpreting history according to a narrative very far removed from the one that matters to people of faith. The reason is our spiritual enemy, we all believe that we have a spiritual enemy, mm-hmm. has successfully convinced educators that the Bible should be off limits and things like hypnotism should be part of school, school-wide assemblies. Like you, you say this, Chris, you were a part of a school assembly. Uh, at a Catholic high school, we had a hypnotist. At a Catholic actually, high school. He was known as the R-rated hypnotist, came to a Catholic high school, hypnotized a bunch of people on stage, and yeah. Were the fathers a little bit you know, off their game when they scheduled that? I think they were all hypnotized when that <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> you had You had a hypno- an R-rated hypnotist come to your Catholic For, school? Yes, Frank Santos. Was it, an all, was it an all-boys school? It was not all-boys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. That that is very strange. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, man. I remember that. So anyway, yeah. and, and my daughter, she was part of a you know this assembly, the school wide assembly for hypnotism. And and for those of you who have no problem with hypnotism and you're a Christian, I got I got news for you. You got to watch out. You have got to be careful. There is a spiritual realm out there, and you can't just open yourself up to these spiritual beings. You can't just open yourself up to mind control from other people. Are you nuts? Like, your own mind is bad enough, okay? You don't need some other guy's mind controlling your mind. Right. Like, <laughs> the human condition. This is a, somebody control me. Somebody control me. And then we shout about how we don't want anybody to control us. Nobody. Could, I mean, it's like, you know, the paradox of the human condition. Anyway. Well, don't they say, though, that you won't do anything that you wouldn't ordinarily do? I've heard that. But you know, maybe, but still, I, that I've just been, freaks I, me out. I've been on vacation where they have like the hypnotist, and I've yeah. sat in there, and like it doesn't work, man. Like, were you part of the experiment? Were yeah, you, I, yeah, one of the times. Yeah, you know, you're in Mexico and whatever, and and like, so we it, should pray for you then. Yeah, you might have some demons. I was actually hypnotized. It didn't work, man. You know what it is? I think, uh, I, I think it just doesn't work on me. Yeah. Oh, okay. You it got a strong on me. mind. It worked yeah. on me. It worked on, it worked on me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, truth is under assault in our public education system. Uh, let's take the Bible out. Let's put hypnotism in. And, and we've exchanged reason in our, in our educational process. We've exchanged reason and inquiry with ancient paganism. Mm. There, this is nothing new under the sun. All these new ancient paganistic, you know, Reiki massage, spiritual mysticism, new age crystals, all that kind of thing. It's nothing new. This is what the gospel came and delivered us from. The Christian influence delivered us from pagan idolatry where we worship stones, trees, and mud. I mean, it's... It's elevated us, and now we are taking the foundations of our country down, uh, biblical values, Judeo-Christian ethic, and we are going right back to where we came from, Yeah, paganism. I mean, it's not progress, guys. It's regress. Where, where is all this coming from? I, I have a theory. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. There's a book out there. It's called A People's History of the United States. Have you heard of this book? No. Written by Howard Zinn. Okay. He was a political science professor at Boston University. Anyway, he wrote a book. It's called A People's History of the United States. It was mentioned in Goodwill Hunting. Oh, cool. Uh, when, when Goodwill, no, sorry, when, when, when Will Hunting goes to his therapist and he talks about how, you know, you got to read this book, A People's History of the United States. It'll mess you up. The, the, basically, yeah. all, the, you know, all the things that we were taught in school to value and appreciate about our country's founding, we should actually now excoriate. 
we should demonize. Mm. You know, Jefferson owned slaves and, uh, you know, Washington was a Mason and yada, 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 and all these. And we came in and we wiped out the indigenous people and we took this land by force through Christian colonization. And, and therefore, everything Christian and everything biblical we should remove from our history because it's offensive. Right. right. So, you know, you get modern day um, moralistic crusades against Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. Vox.com produced a very anti-Columbus video. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. Basically making uh, Columbus an Italian bigot who enslaved and decimated <laughs> countless indigenous peoples. He's only heralded a hero. This is according to Vox.com. Because 19th century Italian immigrants reimagined him into America's founder so they could be accepted into America, who was at that time a little bit hostile to Italian immigrants. Mm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Like let's let's repaint history so that we can feel good about ourselves. That's what they're saying. That's what Vox is saying. But at the same time, Vox is now repainting history to make themselves look smart. It's just the human condition. We have to put someone down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Now, I'm not here to make Christopher Columbus sound like a saint. He was not a saint, but he was brave. He was brave. Yeah. I mean, the guy who sailed across the Atlantic Ocean 500 years ago with nothing but a compass on three small ships. By the way, do either of you know the three small ships? Names? Ninta, the Pinta. Nina. Nina, the pin, pin, Pinta. Pinta. Santa Maria. Santa Maria. There okay, you go. Bingo. Close. Was close. Mm. Yes. Yep. See, the impressionable minds get educated well right there if you teach them the truth. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Josh had no clue because his nah, mind is so strong. I was hypnotized. For uh, I, I Listen, that I only study things that are in the scriptures, man. <laughs> oh, here we go. He's a guy card. Okay. <laughs> All right, anyway, he sails across the ocean. He's in this small, like, three-ship, you know, fleet, if you will. And and now we're expected to believe that Columbus landed on shore and with his small, decimated crew who just sailed for months over the Atlantic Ocean on these three small ships, uh, immediately takes out rifles and starts shooting indigenous people and slaving them. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I mean, and by the way, he did not happen to fall upon a land full of peace-loving aboriginals, as many historians rewriting history uh, experts would like to tell us. There were intertribal wars raging, and the life expectancy of the indigenous was very was extremely low. Mm, In the USA Today article that I read, it said this, those who now question Columbus's, those who now question Columbus conveniently ignore the fact that slavery, cannibalism, warfare, and even human sacrifice all existed in the Americas before he ever arrived. Uh, Case in point, if you've ever seen the great movie by Mel Gibson. So good. Apocalypto. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that movie rocks. Don't watch it with your children. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is human sacrifice scenes in that movie. Fantastic movie, but it's about the Mayan kingdom coming to an end. They're decimated, they're they're war-torn, they're fractured tribally, and they're killing each other. And, and so to appease the gods, right back to paganism, right? Yep. To appease the gods, they were sacrificing other tribes' members on their altars, cutting off their heads. And uh, there's a scene of a head rolling down the set of stairs from the Mayan temple. It's, yeah. ugh, ugh. But anyway, don't watch it with your kids. Back to Columbus. Far from exterminating entire indigenous people, the reality is, and most historians should come to this conclusion if they're honest, the reality is both the indigenous and the European settlers did lose a majority of their populations, but not through warfare or enslavement, but through disease Mm. and intolerable living standards. Uh, You got to think about the cross-pollination of people from a different continent coming to a new continent and a continent with different bacteria and different diseases <clears> and different, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, pathogens that would affect the human body. Like, for instance, 
even to this day, what do people say to us Americans when we're about to go overseas? Get your shots and stuff. Get your vaccines. Get your, yeah. your vaccines and yeah. then what, what, what not to do when you get to that. Don't drink the water. Don't drink the yeah. water. When yeah. I went to El Salvador, you went to Guatemala. Yep. I don't drink the water. Brush my teeth with bottled water the whole time. Yeah. And don't eat. They told us in El Salvador, don't eat raw vegetables. Right. Because they wash it yeah. with the water. Well, they wash it with water. And also there's just different bacteria. So, so anyway, that decimated the European settlers and the indigenous people because you had these two opposite world uh, people groups coming together and creating this new, you know, bacterial atmosphere that did not work well for a long time. But anyway, I'm not willing to sit here and let history be rewritten in order to demonize Christopher Columbus as some sort of Catholic genocidal maniac. I mean, we've got to, we've got to be aware of it. Um, anyway, with my son that day, I took him on a tour. Uh, a little history tour uh, to the Black Legend. You ever read about the Black Legend? No, I haven't heard of that. The Black Legend is actually, um, and it's still completely up in the air about everything that happened, but the Black Legend was the work of non-Spanish Europeans, mostly Dutch Europeans, uh, at, at odds with 15th century Spain over land that Spain had acquired from the Dutch, which they did not appreciate. Mm. So they hated Columbus because he was an Italian explorer sailing under a Spanish flag. Oh. And so uh, they demonized and they kind of like mythologized uh, Christopher Columbus's, um, you know, if you will, modern terminology, human rights violations against the indigenous people because they did not like Spain. And what we have to understand is when we read history, there are flawed people throughout history. So, And there's always going to be these people who hate other people at the time that history is being made who will then rewrite history along the lines of their, you know, innate prejudices. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so pastor, why are you talking about this? I mean, when are we going to get to your revelation? Listen, I'm talking about something that's going to apply real quickly, but stay with me because this has everything to do with Christian faith today. First, this reveals the problem of the human condition. Mm. Like we have to prove somebody is worse than <clears> us. <throat> we have to prove that other people are bad and we are very good. Mm. I, I talked about chronological snobbery in episode one. Chronological snobbery is basically we've run out of other races, genders, and people groups to demonize. Now, let's demonize the people of the past. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, a, it's very convenient to demonize the people of the past because the people of the past are dead yeah. and can't they can't defend them. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice and easy. So, hey, yeah, let's demonize Christopher Columbus because, mm. you know, after all, he has nothing to say anymore. But it's very convenient. And this is part of the human condition is what we do is what we do comes naturally. It comes from the Garden of Eden. It still exists well today. And so now instead of celebrating a nation that we should celebrate, which is a free nation, a, a very good nation in many respects, a very moral and upright nation, and a very generous nation, the United States. Yeah. We got a lot of flaws, but we are still by far the most freest, most generous, peace-loving country on earth. Mm. Yeah. And you can't find a better country. I don't think so. No, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, unless somebody was to give me an island in the Caribbean. Sure. You know, text the number on the deep end to let me know if you're interested. In but, <laughs> We're going you know, to St. Hatch. St. Hatch, yes. Hatch Let's go to St. Hatch Island. Oh, the human condition, we have to find someone else to demonize. Why? To make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Secondly, I would like to say this. The human race and history has benefited from the contributions of many flawed men and women over the ages. Uh, the Bible is no different. The Bible has flawed men and women moving the trajectory of God's redemptive purposes along. People like Moses, people like Aaron, people like David, people like Solomon. <laughs> flawed men. People like Peter. Flawed man. Yeah. Peter was a racist at one point and, dis and, and withdrew from the Gentiles because his Jewish buddies showed up and he didn't want to be associated with the Gentiles when his Jewish buddies showed up. This is nothing new, right. but he was flawed. And yet, 
God used him to write uh, the book of Mark is his, his, his memorances of his walking with Jesus and first and second Peter. Don't demonize the people of history. We have, we have benefited from them. Uh, and so, I, you know, one day I think, and let me get a little political here, a little more political. Mm-hmm. One day our great-grandchildren will be excoriating this generation for mm-hmm. um, even allowing abortion to be something that we do. Hope I so. really believe Hope that. So. You know, the more science that comes out, the more evidence that we get of life in the womb and what a child looks like at three weeks, at four weeks, at eight weeks. I mean, it's just, it's insane to me to think that, yeah, this, this should be a civil right to, to do that. Anyway, yeah. um, someday our gen- uh, the future generations will wake up and they'll be telling us we were stupid. <laughs> but we will be dead and won't be able to defend ourselves. Anyway, thirdly, I would remind you, Christian, that we are Christians before we were Americans. So if the nation's school system succeeds in reinterpreting history based on exaggerations or legends, so be it. We follow Christ and not the Constitution first. Mm-hmm. Like the co- Christ first, Constitution second, right? And by the way, blaming Christians for atrocities is as old as Emperor Nero in 70 AD, who set fire to Rome and then blamed the Christians and put them up on stakes and crucified them for it. Nothing new. Christians Mm -hmm. have been blamed for many, many misconducts throughout history. So final last thing, a Christian first, a Christian's first responsibility in regards to horrible treatment of our fellow man, in, in, in regards to this blaming others and demonizing others because they're worse than us, Christian, your first responsibility toward evil is to repent of the evil in you. Right? As Matthew 7, verse 3 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or in the deep end version, Why do you see the speck that is in Christopher Columbus's eye, and not notice the log that is in your own eye? <laughs> Modern day Americans. <laughs> Stop worrying about the evil in others. Start concerning yourself with the work that God wants to do in you and change your heart. John Newton, the former slave ship captain, once said this. He says, I know only two things. He came to Christ, repented of his sins. I only know two things. At the end of his life, he said that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Yeah. Mm. And he wrote the the great song Amazing Grace. Yeah. Anyway, that's our first segment of politics. Nice. nice man. Good. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? I feel educated now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think online on YouTube, on Facebook or text us. Have a thought, ask anything, 508-316-9333, and uh, we would love to hear from you. And by the way, be nice in the comments section. Our, our feelings <laughs> get hurt very easily around be, here. Yeah, don't be a be jerk. Gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> no, they, they don't get hurt easily, easily at all. Yeah. Let's get into um, the season two book study. Ladies and gentlemen, back to the book of Revelation. I'm not going to get tired of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So last time we were here, I don't know. Did you <coughs> did you watch the podcast last time? Yes. Oh, you did. Most of it. Why? You didn't? <laughs> I know. Most of it. I wasn't in it, so I just fast forward the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, we talked about this last time. And, and this is what we need to remember, that Revelation, as crazy as it, is, as it is, as mysterious as it is, as confusing as it can be, ultimately, Revelation is about what is most real, that we live in a world where people will fight, our, uh, nations will rise against nation, people against people, kingdom against kingdom. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. But we live in a world where we can either say, oh my gosh, what I see, what I hear, what I experience is reality, or we can read our scriptures and we can interpret Revelation to help us understand that there is a spiritual realm around us. There is a war waging right now for the souls of men and women and you, uh, all around you, 
uh, Satan is real and um, demons are real. And, and, and by the way, the moment that you deny that Satan and demons are real is the moment you become a sitting duck for his devices. Mm, yeah. Like, just that's exactly what he wants. Keith Green, the great Christian uh, singer who died very young in a plane crash in the 1970s, he, he wrote a song <clears> called <throat> Nobody Believes in Me Anymore. Uh, and it was a song uh, in the first person perspective. The words are the first person perspective of, of Satan himself. And, and he's like, man, I'm having the time of my life. You know, I'm doing everything I want. I'm going all over the place and I don't even have to hide anymore. Do you know why? Because nobody believes in me anymore. Yeah. Satan's real. And John the Revelator writes this book given to him by the Holy Spirit from the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal, to show God's people that know what you see on, outside your door, that, that know what you see on television, that, that know what you hear about in rumor or in the news or on social media is not actually the realest thing about your life and about the world. There is an unseen realm that you have got to be aware of. Satan is doing everything that he can to deceive the nations. And in many respects, he is deceiving the nations. Mm. And God <clears throat> is working to deliver his people out from that deception. That is the heart of Revelation. Yeah. And, and it's really important for us to understand that because we will... <clears throat> look like the world, we will flip out like the world, we will get angry and disconcerted just like people who are not Christians when we ignore what God has given us through his word in the book of Revelation to help us sort this mess out. And so when it comes to Revelation, we talked about this last week, it is not your secret decoder ring to find out what, what day is Jesus coming back. No, Revelation exists to help us understand our reality, what is most real about our reality. And so today we're going to talk about this subject. Jesus is sovereign over history. Mm. Mm. He is sovereign over history. Let's take a, take a look at these five verses. John, uh, Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Sovereign over history. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witnesses, the first, the first, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. See, the Bible is pro-amen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, amen. Thank you. <laughs> who is John? Let's talk about that because this is a book study and we're going to go through this book, but we got to talk about who wrote the book or who God assigned to write the book. And the book is written by a guy by the name of John. John is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He becomes an apostle and he spreads the gospel uh, through um, unhindered, unstoppable witness and he is persecuted and he suffers terribly for his witness for Christ. And what you have to understand about Revelation and John and his writing of Revelation is that at the time of his writing, there's a good chance that John is the last living disciple of Jesus. And so uh, he is alive, and barely, by the way, uh, he is exiled to the island of Patmos. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you have to understand, too, about this, the <clears throat> disciples of the Lord Jesus. They all died for the gospel, mm. and they all died in horrific manner. Have you guys ever heard the stories about how the Chopped disciples... heads. Yeah. They were, uh, wasn't Peter <laughs> crucified upside down? Peter was crucified upside down. At his own request, by the way, because yeah. he didn't feel worthy Honor, yeah. 
to be crucified the way Christ was crucified. They tried to boil one of them. Was that's that John? John, John yeah. was a, now. This is uh, from Tertullian. He was a second century church father. He he writes about the fact that they tried to boil him in oil, and he survived miraculously. And so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. Couldn't and then he, yeah, they couldn't kill him. We'll talk about that next week. But none, nonetheless, uh, let, let me just run down what happened to the disciples because it's kind of crazy. Matthew, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, suffered martyrdom by being thrust through with the sword. Peter again crucified upside down. James the, was beheaded in Jerusalem. He was uh, the, one of the, I think he was the first disciple to die, beheaded yeah. in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, there was another James in the group of disciples, and he was thrown off a high place from the temple and beaten to death with a club. Bartholomew got it the worst. He was flayed alive. <coughs> I don't, you know, I don't even know what that um, entails. Like, like cooked? Flayed. Flayed. Flay a fish. Flay. Oh, okay, like night. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't even want to think about it. It reminds me of Braveheart. Like a fish fillet. Yeah. Yeah. But, Bartholomew. But, yeah. Man, unbelievable. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body with a lance in India. By the way, there's still a um, monument to the disciple Thomas in India. You can oh, go wow. visit it. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Anyway. You have a serious problem with denying the resurrection of Jesus based on the idea that these guys made it up to kind of like curry, you know, power Mm -hmm. because they had no power (laughs) and they suffered horribly and they died horribly. And so the suggestion that the the resurrection was a hoax made up by the church so that the church could wield power over the rest of the world. Okay, the church had zero power for 300 years, first of all. It didn't have any power until Constantine converted to Christ and probably just for political reasons, because I don't think he ever became a true disciple of Jesus. Uh, so for 300 years, the church and the followers of Jesus are getting executed, crucified, thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, and they're suffering terribly. And John, John is with them. He is with them in this persecution, and he has followers who were also executed. Their followers were executed. That's what we have to remember. John has a disciple named Polycarp. Polycarp was executed in the Roman Colosseum uh, by being thrust through with a sword. Mm. Uh, The emperor in the Colosseum asks Polycarp, who was very old at the time, he says, you know, respect thine age and deny Christ and you will live. And he says, I can't deny him who has done me no wrong up until this moment in my life. Right. You know, and and so they, they try to set fire to Polycarp. He's bound to a stake and Something happens miraculously. The wind from heaven comes down and blows the fire away. So they take a sword and they pierce him through and he dies. Anyway, one of the greatest testaments to the reliability of the resurrection, and this is important for us to understand, and and to the reliability of the power of the Holy Spirit is how the apostles and the disciples of Jesus in those first few centuries of Christian faith, how they were able to testify to the gospel, to the resurrection, despite experiencing excruciating death when their faith was all they had. Yeah. And uh, all that was required of them was to just deny, just deny, deny that Jesus is Lord. And, and they refused to, and they still went to their horrible deaths. Mm. And so, you know, there's a lot of historical proofs uh, to their uh, trustworthiness in declaring that, look, we can't deny what we saw. We saw him alive. We saw him rise from the dead. And so that's why they could embrace death, by the way, mm. with joy, because they knew that that death was a temporary assignment. <laughs> One day they're going to come back to life. One day they're going to be raised with all the others <clears throat> who have died in Christ and and all that kind of thing. And we're going to read about that in Revelation as we get to. But let's talk about John's resume, if we will. <laughs> You know, John was a disciple of Jesus. He was the brother of James. They called these two guys the Sons of Thunder. Mm, that's great. Uh, yeah, cool nickname. I think Jesus <laughs> called them that. Yeah, Thunder. 
That's a good. That's a good song. I'm learning that on the guitar, by the way. <laughs> Are you really thunderstruck? Hey, yes. You, you need to repent because you, you've led me in that direction. Right? <laughs> now I'm playing secular songs. Anyway, Sons of Thunder, <laughs> and um, one of them was uh, one of, one of the close. He was one of the close three with uh, Peter and James. You know, Jesus had the twelve disciples, then he had the close three, and then. At the cross, John is the only one that's still with Jesus at the time of his execution. Mm. Uh, he's with Mary, his mother, at the cross, and this is the one that Jesus says to him from the cross, woman, behold thy son, and, and son, behold thy mother. And so John is there to care for Mary from Jesus' death onward because evidently Joseph is dead at some point in the ministry of Jesus. We don't know exactly when. So Mary is hopeless without Jesus, and so uh, John takes her into his home. And this actually does happen. They move to Ephesus, and... Uh, Mary lives with John, I think, until the day of her death. But anyway, um, he is one of the. He is referred to in his own gospel, and this is kind of like his own uh, epigraph, if you will, as yeah. the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wow! Like that's a cool thing. Like to be called to call yourself, "Hey, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved." Yeah, <laughs> seems like Jesus' bestie. Yeah, like you know. But just think about the the courage and the confidence to say, "I know that I'm loved." Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I know that I'm loved so much that when I refer to myself in my own gospel, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wink, wink. That's he me. loves me more than all the others. <laughs> you know, but it's it's a really cool phrase that I think that yeah. John embodied in his life because he really did come to know the powerful love of Jesus. Yeah, and so he writes three. Uh, he writes actually one, two, three, four, five books in the Bible: John, the Gospel of John, First, Second, and Third John, and then Revelation. And I thought about this. Like, you're going to give a guy a revelation of Jesus. How, who do you give that to? Like, who do you give the revelation yeah, to? The one that he loved the most. The one that he loved the most. <laughs> but the other question is, what was, it, what, what was it about John? Like, what was it about John that God said, that Jesus said, I, I got to give this guy yeah. this supernatural experience for the generations to come? <laughs> and I think about this. I think that John actually epitomized his own statements that he, well, Jesus' statements that he wrote down in his own gospel, John 15. Uh, let me just read it and then I'll explain. Yeah. John 15 verse 4 says, Abide in me. This is Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John embodied that. Like he not only wrote that, he actually lived it. Yeah. Like abide in Christ. What does that mean? It means to stay close to Jesus. It means that you spend time with him. It means also, at its simplest level, it means this. Just stick with Jesus. Mm. Stay. With, like the word mino in, in Greek actually just means just continue. And what Jesus is saying, no matter what happens, no matter what they try to do to you, no matter what life experiences you have, just stay with me. And I think about this, and you guys experience this with me too as leaders in this church. How many people let these huge life experiences take them away All the time. from Jesus? Bad. Not just bad ones, though. We think, oh, the bad ones get people tripped off, yeah. trip, 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 uh, tripped up and then off the path. Oh, it's not. It's, good ones. it's the yeah. good ones. Yeah. It's the, oh, I got married and now I'm very busy with my new wife, you know? Sure. Or, yeah. or, or I, um, I got this new job and now I got to really work hard because I really want to you know, climb the ladder. And then before they know it, their faith is... Empty. Yeah, yeah. Gone and from church, gone from church. Gone from church, gone from serving, gone from being. So I, here's here's the real like point that I kind of want to make. It's this this idea that if you want God to speak to you, you've got to just stick it out. Yeah. You got to stick it out no matter what happens. Life is going to hand you a billion reasons to turn away from Jesus. You got to stay with Jesus. Mm. And I'm telling you this as I learned to hear from John is that he he stayed with Christ and Estimates are that he is about 80 years old when he writes the book of Revelation. He's the last remaining disciple. And I have to believe this. Because he did not let the world take his faith, either through good or bad experiences, 
Jesus comes to him and shows him a revelation. Yeah. Wow. It's a powerful teaching truth, I think. You know, here's what I say to you, Christian, watching or listening. Faith is not going to happen in your life. Uh, fruit, I'm sorry. Fruit is not going to happen in your life overnight. You're going to bear fruit, but it's going to take time. You're going to have that ministry opportunity, but it's going to take faithfulness over the long haul. Um, even in my own life, I think about the things I wanted to be so much further ahead in my life when I was much younger. And it's like, I didn't realize that there is a process of testing, a process of development, a process whereby your character is challenged and changed over the course of many years so that you become the person God wants you to be. Yeah. You know, you guys have experienced this, I'm oh, sure. Definitely. And uh, so you've got to stay with Jesus. You've got to stay. Don't let the good, don't let the bad, don't let the in-between take you off the path. Amen. Abide in Christ. So that's who John is. And then he writes, To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and was to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So let me ask you guys, does this, does this anything about this catch your eye, this passage? Anything? The number seven? Seven. Seven. Seven, seven. And then look at the word seven spirits, seven spirits before the throne. Like, that's crazy. What is that? Yeah. You know? Like, seven. what does that mean? Seven, so seven churches he's writing to, mm -hmm. and seven spirits before God's throne. I thought God was one spirit. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. So I'm thinking about this, and this is a great opportunity to do something that I, I'm really excited about here on the deep end. And, and we're going we're gonna to do something in just a minute, but let me build this up first. Seven <laughs> is the number in the Bible symbolizing completeness. Yeah. You know, it's symbolizing completeness. Uh, seven days of creation. <clears throat> mm -hmm. The world is completed and the universe is complete. Seven days of rain before the flood. Oh, good. Seven clean animals on the ark. Uh, two sets of seven cows in Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, that Joseph interprets. The feasts of Israel uh, were each seven days long. Uh, the seventh year in Leviticus is known as the Sabbath year. Mm -hmm. And then the seventh cycle of seven years, the 50th year, is known as the year of, does anybody know? As Bueller? Forgiveness? Well, I know. Bueller? Isn't that when, <laughs> when you have to forgive and let go yeah, of debts? Yeah, but it's called the year of Jubilee. Jubilee, okay. The year of Jubilee. Joy. So releasing all debts, all land goes back to original owners or original owners' families. There was never to be this uh, perpetual poverty in Israel. Mm. Uh, people would always have the chance that they would have their land renewed and redeemed back to themselves. Anyway, sevens all over the Bible. So let's talk about the number seven. And I'm going to do something new to the deep end. We're opening up the big toy chest today on the second, <laughs> seat, second nice. episode. Let's whiteboard it. All right, we're going to go over here to the whiteboard. We don't have any music for this segment. This is the Deep End Whiteboard. <laughs> Welcome to class, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I'll be your teacher for the next few moments. Let's talk about the number seven because this is a very biblical number and there's a reason for it. And there's cool uh, mathematical realities to the number seven. Um, if you divide any non-divisible by seven number by seven, such as 21 or 29 or any other number that seven can't easily be divided into, there it actually ends up with a never-ending cyclical decimal repeating uh, pattern. Anyway, that's just free of charge. Nothing biblical about that, but it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the number seven, okay? Because this is going to be pretty cool. Let's let's talk about this. First off, seven is the uh, addition of three to four. You say, Pastor, this is so basic. Where are you going with this? Okay, just trust me for a moment. The number three always represents heaven mm. in the Bible because in heaven there are three persons. Who are they? God the 
Father, all right, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are three persons in heaven, and heaven is typically symbolized by the number three. Well, the number four, what does the number four symbolize? Interestingly enough, in the scriptures, more often than not, the number four symbolizes uh, the earth, if you will. This is my very roughshod uh, drawing of the earth, if you will, <laughs> continents over here. Uh, because when the scriptures talk about the earth, it talks about that there are four corners of the earth. Mm. And those four corners today in science class we learn are the four um, hemispheres. Hemispheres. I knew it was on the tip of your yeah, tongue. It was. That's why I fit it. In brain, thank <laughs> you. There's four <laughs> hemispheres. There's the north, the south, the east, and the west. So even still today, we talk about the earth as being part of a quadrant, if you will. Um, so four is, is the number of the earth. Three is the number of heaven. Seven is when you take heaven mm. and you add it to earth. What? That's good. <laughs> That's <laughs> why creation happens. And how does creation end? Creation ends. Heaven, the word of God, invades earth. And God speaks into the earth. And he creates life. And man comes to be. Uh, and he creates all the animals, and he creates all the other things before man, but then he creates man, and, it's, and it ends with heaven and earth dwelling together in perfect unity, and that is the number of completion. Now you say, well, why does this matter? Because here's the thing. That's the first creation, but watch this. There is also such a thing as the second creation, and a lot of Christians need to understand this. Actually, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, and he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new Mm. creation, or if you will, a second creation, because this creation got spoiled by sin. So there is a second creation that you can be a part of, the new creation. Guess what happens at the new creation? The same thing that happened in the first creation. Heaven invades earth, and God and man dwell together in harmony and peace. Seven. Here's what happens. When you... Uh, by the way, you who have skin and bones, you are made from what? What did God make Adam and Eve from? Dust. Well, actually, Adam from? Dust. 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 So we are part of earth. God comes into our lives in the person of the, uh, in the, through the work of Jesus Christ, the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we become members of the Father's family. The three invade our earth, and we are now made complete in Christ Jesus as part of that new creation. But it doesn't end there, Christian. Because when Jesus rises from the dead, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, he tells his disciples to do what? Go into all nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you, and baptize them in the name of who? Father. Father and Son, Son and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Keep this work going. Keep making disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let, through the witness of the church, heaven invades earth still to this day. And every time somebody comes to Christ, this is so exciting. Every time somebody comes to Christ, a piece of the old former fallen creation has now been made a part of the new creation completed in Christ Jesus. And that is what the gospel does. It makes a new creation. Anyway. Wow. I thought that was cool. Yeah, very much when so. I thought, when, I, when I heard about it, I actually read about that from some other preacher. I stole it from him. I won't tell you who, so you can think I'm smart. Uh, but <laughs> I just thought that was pretty cool. And so here's what our mission is, uh, to be um, those 
completed creations for God's glory. So when the Bible takes us uh, to Revelation, you have to understand in Revelation, there are sevens everywhere. Mm. Because why? Because the Revelation is going to point to the culmination of heaven finally and and, and forever invading earth. Right. So there's seven churches. Why seven churches? Because seven, again, is a picture of completion. Were there other churches in Asia Minor? Of course there were. Were there other churches on the world? Yes, of course. But the seven churches specifically, which we will get to, um, they represent the totality of God's church. And then the seven spirits before God's throne, uh, they represent the seven attributes of the spirit, which actually I didn't have a, a text for this, but it talks about the seven attributes of God's spirit in um, Isaiah 11, verse 3. That I think it's uh, the spirit of truth, the spirit of faith, the spirit of... And there's seven attributes. But anyway... That's the reason why seven is everywhere in Revelation. This is the wow. culmination. <clears throat> cool. That's cool. But seven churches, right? So seven churches are written to, and you got to remember this, they are written to first, and this brings up uh, one last segment we're going to talk about today, which is called Mythbusters. Let's go to Mythbusters. Okay, Mythbusters, and this is a segment in which we're going to try to annihilate, kind of dismantle some of the myths that we often believe about the Bible. Uh, here's the myth today. The Bible is not written to you. Mm. Like the Bible, the, the myth is, well, I'm sorry. The myth is the Bible is a personal book that I read for myself. Right. It's not. <laughs> the Bible was not addressed to you, 21st century American. The Bible was addressed to people in the ancient context. And we have to realize that because it helps us read the Bible correctly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for, not to, for our con- instruction, that through endurance, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Like when we read the Bible, sometimes we read it as if it's like it's personal document from God to us. Like, for instance, with David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. you know, I've talked about this a lot with you, Chris, about how we miss read the story of David and Goliath because yeah. we say what that story is teaching us is what? How to overcome our giants. Right. Right. You know, no, no. so we've got to overcome our giants like David overcame his giant. And then so we got to take our five stones and the five stones could be, you know, the stone of faith and the stone of fearlessness and the stone of, you know, come up with three other words that begin with F. Mm-hmm. And there you go. You got a sermon on how to defeat the giants. In your life. No, the story of David and Goliath is a story that is pointing us to the final David, Jesus, Amen. who defeats our true Goliath, death, hell, the grave. And how does he do it? Not with the weapons of this world, not with Saul's armor, but with simple measures. And then ultimately with, the, with Goliath's own sword, the symbol of death. Through death, Jesus defeats death. You know, just like David defeats Goliath with his own sword. So anyway, the big point I'm I'm trying to make is this. Let's read Revelation rightly. And to read Revelation rightly, we have to realize that Revelation was written to the church of John's day for the church in every generation. Mm. And so what does it say? Let's finish up today's podcast by just going over these verses real quick. Here's what he says in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. I think it's very important that you understand that the Bible is written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is a biblical truth. All scriptures God breathed is written through men, but as God breathed, God breathes and inspires men to write these words. And we don't just read the words of God only like as if he came down from on heaven and he wrote it out. He uses people to write out his word. And that's what John says here. It is, it is from me, but it's also from Jesus Christ, the two working together, heaven invading earth. And then he says in verse five, to him who loves us. Now watch this. This is really cool. To him who loves us 
And then in verse six, it says, and made us. Okay, I, I want to just I'll unpack that for a moment because everybody loves the idea. And watch this. This is cool. This is another little technique I'm going to be using on the deep end this year. Everybody loves this idea that God loves us. Mm-hmm. But God loves us, okay, for a reason. He loves us so that he can make us. And some people don't realize that. He loves us so that he can make us. He's not just, oh, I love, 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 God. I just feel the Holy Spirit heebie-jeebies, you know. (laughs) Thank you for loving me. No, it's not just that. It's also that God wants to make you. He wants to turn your life around. He wants to change you from the person that you are, who he loves, but he also wants to change you. So that's why we always say at our church, look, it's not come as, it's not, it is come as you are, but it does not stay as you are. Right. It does not just be the same nasty human being that you've been since birth. It is let the Lord change you and let him change you. How? This is cool. Through his love. Mm-hmm. His love changes you. And you think about that. Love changes people. True. Right? People change. And you know, uh, Josh Pereira, you are married to a woman. I am. A woman. Good. Are, thank God it's a woman. Good. But nonetheless, <laughs> you, you, nobody wrote down uh, at your birth, uh, Josh Pereira at age, whatever it was, marry Sandy. Right. Right. What happened? How, well, how did you get to the point where you married that girl? You loved her. Yeah. Yeah, you, you fell in love with her. You, you, yeah, yeah, relationship. But nobody had to write out, <clears throat> take Sandy out for dinner. You know, <laughs> buy Sandy flowers. Thou shalt buy Sandy flowers. Nobody had to do that, right? right? You did that of your own volition because her love for you and your love for her changed what you did. Yeah. That's the, that's the reality about the scriptures, and that's the reality about God. He doesn't change you through law. He changes you through his love. But, friends, the big idea here is let him change you. Let him change you through his love. And I, I, I think that there are a lot of people, they think they're Christians, but they've never received the love of God. And this is why they never change. Yeah. The love of God is the change agent of God through the Holy Spirit by which he transforms you in another person. And he made us a kingdom. He made us priests and he made us priests so that we could be, again, those agents of heaven invading earth. And so then he says this, verse seven, he says, behold, he is coming in the clouds. Uh, and many people think, okay, well, that's just Jesus is coming in the clouds from up in the sky. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. He's coming from the sky. But clouds in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 12 actually is referring to people. Hmm. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud ah. of witnesses, okay, hmm. let us lay aside every weight and sin which sticks so, uh, clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. The clouds in, in Hebrews 12 are the people who have died in Christ before us, they're watching us. And when Jesus comes back, and this is verified in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Jesus comes back from heaven, he's coming with all the people who died in him before us. The clouds. The clouds. So he's coming, and we have to realize that. We are part of a global family. We are part of an intergenerational movement of Jesus. So when we read Revelation, it is not just for us in the last seven years of human existence. Mm. Like everybody, a lot of Christians think that. The revelation is not really for the first generation Christians, it's for the people long after, long, long away from them. No, Paul, Jesus, uh, John is writing through the Holy Spirit's inspiration to that generation and to our generation and all the generations in between. Anyway, um, all that being said, we got a great 
uh, season ahead of us with the study in the book of Revelation. I'm looking forward to it. I guess. Yeah, this was fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. Great. I hope you like the new format. The new format, hopefully more engaging, more interactive, more educational. A lot of great feedback online. More inspirational. My, my quest in life is to make sure that the Bible comes alive. I hope that we're doing that here on The Deep. And I'm so glad that you joined us for episode two of season two. And we're going to get back into Revelation next week. Join us. Don't miss a week. This was The Deep End.